because a lot of people they have that dream but then you know they talk about well i don't have time i mean with these all these classes what do they expect well that's why fewer than five percent it's not for everybody Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my amazing guest, Sharig. I knew I wouldn't be able to roll my R's when I needed to. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so, Sharig, give us the 5,000-foot view of who you are and what exciting projects you're working on. Yeah, my name is Shirag Shamasyan. I help students um, get into top medical schools uh, primarily and also assist people with undergraduate admissions and other graduate school admissions. Um, I've been doing this work for nearly 20 years and, and really, really enjoy it. Uh, it's something that you don't really fall into. You know, I, I sometimes joke, Michelle, about how, you know, no eight-year-old that I've spoken with when I ask them about their career plans, they don't say, I want to help people get into medical school. That's not on anybody's radar. Um, so it's something that, yeah, <laughs> so it's something that you really just develop a, an interest in and a passion for. Um, over time, as as has been the case for me, and we assist with everything from you know course planning throughout college, what extracurriculars to do, taking the MCAT, which is sort of the SAT or ACT for medical schools, um, and then helping with all manners of application essays and so on. And uh, it's just a treat to do it. I love that, and I think it's hugely important, especially for entrepreneurs who are thinking, "Hey, my kid's got a lot of aptitude, mm -hmm. but <laughs> how much is this going to cost me in the end, and and how do I do? I really want to do this, but I think it's fantastic for the kids that do have aptitude for it and want to do it that they have, parents have the resources to make the kids' dreams come true, and um, anything that we can do to help that happen is awesome. So let's backtrack a little bit and. How did you get into all of this? <laughs> I get yeah. that it was a drip campaign in your life, but. Yeah. So, you know, going back to what you said about parents, some parents having, you know, the resources to, to get their kids extra assistance with what's becoming an increasingly competitive process. It's kind of crazy, you know, getting into medical school, both here in the U.S. and in Canada, um, as well as getting into, you know, top undergraduate programs um, everywhere. So it's just getting harder and harder. But. I mean, my parents are immigrants to this country from Lebanon. So we're ethnic Armenians, but they grew up in Lebanon. Then they came here. And, and so they had high aspirations for my brother and me. Um, they're like, all right, you guys, all you have to do is go to school and do good at school. So no excuses. Um, and you have to go to a good college because then you can get a good job and, you know, you can live, have a more secure job than we did, et cetera, except they had no idea how to make it happen. So going back to, or, or the resources to hire someone like me. So the irony is, you know, my parents couldn't have really afforded um, to have the support of someone like me to to guide you know their kids, and I don't even know that they would have. I don't know that they would have understood, um, you know, this world, let alone hiring a consultant to help their kids. And so, I fortunately now, but unfortunately back then, you know, had to figure it out all on my own. There was no real guidance about okay, this is how you develop the type of resume that helps you get into top colleges or anything like that. So when it came time to apply. I was like, all right, mom, dad, like you've been talking about this for 15 years. Like, how do I do it? They're like, oh, we didn't do it. We didn't do it here in America. And, you know, having been self-taught and achieving success with the process, a lot of people started asking me for help. Um, and I started helping them and they were having a lot of success. 
And my interest grew over time. And I found myself repeating similar advice for a lot of people and customizing it to them and realized, okay, maybe I should write about this because there are probably more people who have this problem. And I wanted our students to have resources. And so, you know, those articles started getting shared. Now, random people were coming in from the internet uh, after having found our resources on Google and stuff like that. So as the as it spread through word of mouth and SEO and all these kinds of things, what ended up happening is my interest was also growing more and more. And I was realizing that our students are having success. This is a good thing. You know, it's a good it, it's a good work um, to do because we're helping people achieve their educational and career goals. And and it just sort of snowballed from there. So again, it was sort of out of necessity because I wanted to, you know, go to a great school. I ended up going to Cornell for my undergrad and did my PhD at UCLA. And then it sort of, so it was out of necessity. It started, but then organically through word of mouth, it grew. And here I am today. This is all I do. Nice. I love that. And the irony of that, but we'll get back to the mm -hmm. irony of teaching entrepreneurs how to get their kids to go to medical school so that they can become entrepreneurs. But <laughs> we, we will get into that. Comes full circle. Yeah. Later. Yeah. So when you're working with somebody, what kind of does that look like? Are you looking for their marks? Are you looking for their interests? Are you, what are you looking for in the parents, the students when you're first working with someone? Yeah, I mean, so when it comes to admissions, there are a few pillars. Uh, number one, of course, is academic achievement. This is the one that parents and students, I think, focus on the most because it's the most obvious. You have to take certain courses. You have to get good grades. You have to take a certain standardized test. You have to do well on it, period. Um, where it gets really tricky is building a strong extracurricular profile, the type of resume that says, you know, that makes someone say, wow, that's really impressive and different. Um, because most people know that they have to do, you know, clinical shadowing, meaning they have to observe a physician, they have to do research, they have to get some direct patient exposure experience, they have to, you know, do community service work. But what that looks like is going to look very different from for every student. Now, what ends up happening is students get nervous and they say, oh boy, I feel behind. I'm going to sort of drink at the first well I come to. Oh, there's this club on campus that does this. I'm going to join this and then this and this and this. And all of a sudden, it's a very generic sort of well-rounded. So they got involved in a lot of things, but there's no real depth. There's no real differentiation. So I know a lot of students who have, you know, very high statistics who look very bland on paper. And so our job is to not only say, okay, four-year course planning. These are the courses you have to take. Here's how to make a balanced course load. So you're not taking any, any term isn't too hard or too easy or anything like that. But in addition to that, here's how we're going to develop a very focused profile where you're hitting all of the marks in terms of shadowing and patient contact and all that kind of stuff, but you're doing in a way where it's cohesive, right? The activity A is linked somehow to activity B so that when I walk away from it, it go, you know, I can think, oh, wow, I know that this student is all about X, and having that level of clarity and specificity is what sets someone apart. And then you deliver that information through compelling essays. And so my job is to assist students with developing that entire profile so that a, an admissions committee member can read it and say, okay, I know what this person's all about. It sounds to me like you're working with them when they're already in university. Are you working with them when they're already in courses or are you going back to say grade 11 or 12? And, yeah. And looking at, at developing things then how early do you start? Yeah. So, I mean, we start, we also assist students in high school who are applying to, to top colleges. We're very selective who we take on, on the, 
high school to college front because you know that process is also extremely difficult and it involves an intense level of support because high school probably have the most academic requirement of any point in your life in terms of like six, seven classes every day, homework for each class every day. So um, we're very selective about whom we take on because we want to have, because every student, it seems that, you know, contacts us has an aspiration to go to a Harvard, a Yale, a Princeton, uh, that type of school. But, you know, these schools accept fewer than 5% of applicants these days. And so we're very selective about like, okay, like you, you, you're showing the dedication that is involved, right? Because a lot of people, they have that dream, but then, you know, they talk about, well, I don't have time. I mean, with these, all these classes, what do they expect? Well, that's why fewer than 5%, it's not for everybody. And so it takes a very special student and a very special level of focus um, for someone to, to do that. So that's a, that's a smaller um, part of our organization, assisting kids from college to, uh, from high school to college, excuse me. Um, but more of the work that we do is from college to medical school. Awesome. And I'm assuming that a lot of those higher, the Yales of the world are mostly on pedigree and marks. So, or it, am I totally off? Can you get in if your parents and your grandparents haven't gone to those? You can't. I mean, I, um, so yeah, you're, what you're referring to is legacy. So if, uh, if a parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister went to a Yale, uh, then your legacy, um, and legacy does help, uh, but it's not, you know, I think it's, I think it's declined in importance over time. Um, because you know, their schools have different initiatives, you know, as it's gotten more and more competitive, you can have legacy, but there are so many students without legacy who are more impressive. Uh, you know, if, if, I mean, you could have legacy and be super impressive, but just having legacy and being somewhat impressive, isn't necessarily going to be good enough. But if you are super impressive, legacy is like that extra nudge. Um, a lot of students who get in don't have legacy. I, again, I think it's declined in importance over time. A lot of that has, also has to do with diversity initiatives. You know, schools are trying to recruit more and more diverse student bodies and, you know, students who are historically underrepresented, whether, you know, certain members of certain racial or ethnic groups or students from low income backgrounds, those students are less likely to have legacy. And so if a school is looking to recruit more students who are historically underrepresented, they're also going to recruit more students who don't have legacy. And, you know, these schools, Michelle, can fill their entire student body, 100% students with legacy. They can also, they get so many applications, they could fill it 100% with students with no legacy. And so it's sort of a, you know, if you think about the buyer's market, seller's market, like to borrow real, real estate terminology, with top colleges, it's a seller's market. The schools can do whatever they want because Every, you know, there's incredibly low supply and an, in, an incredible, <laughs> exactly. They call the shots, right? They don't, they don't need to capitulate to anything. And so that's why it gets very complicated. And, you know, emotionally for parents, it means a lot for their kid to go to a certain school. You worked your tail off. Maybe you're an immigrant, you know, like you're looking to become more entrenched in this country and, you know, having your student get into a school like that is a reflection of like, you did a great job as a parent and, you know, now they're set up for success. Obviously, that's not the only thing that indicates whether or not you are a good parent. I'm just saying, I think it, it, that's what it feels like. Sort of, I did my part as a parent. I put them in the right position to succeed here. 
I, I, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that it's no longer just about legacy. I actually appreciate that because mm-hmm. obviously somebody that's got the academic aptitude, it opens doors for them, which is fantastic. So mm-hmm. when they're looking at students, are they looking for somebody that has a diverse interest in things or is it very specific? So say you, you're dealing with a student who wants to get into, I don't know, maxillofacial surgery. Are you looking for somebody that does volunteer work around the world in maxillofacial surgery or are you looking for somebody that's like, yeah, I just do community work and help people make money or? It depends on the stage. It depends on the stage in your education. So at every stage in education, focus is critical. So if you're a high schooler, you have to think about a few things developing a distinct profile and one that is incredibly impactful. So it's not about doing a bunch of things like I did 500 hours of beach cleanup. I did 500 hours at the shelter. Um, you know, I did this, it, it, you know, I was president of the French club. It's not about that. That's what we call randomly well-rounded. And that's one of the biggest problems in college admissions. Now, if someone's really interested in the health sciences, like you pointed out, you don't have to have the level of focus. That's like, I observed maxwell facial surgeons. I did research in maxwell facial. That comes later. That's more of a, you know, if you're in medical school or dental school and you're looking to enter maxwell facial surgery, that at that point you can specialize. In high school, you know, if you're looking to show that background in healthcare, you want to get involved in, you know, biomedical research, certainly. Um, you want to have a lot of service work. You know, it could be it could be healthcare related, like working at a at hospice. It could be, um, you know, working at a, you know, like a, an EMT volunteer, whatever the case might be, but also, you know, might be uh, service related work around education. Maybe you're really big on empowering youth from underserved backgrounds to develop a love for science because you had an early experience um, that sort of triggered your this cascade of events where you wanted to go to medical school and you want to sort of impart that to other people. And so you develop like a, you know, youth sort of healthcare education program, and that's your service related work. So it's not necessarily directly clinical Um, beyond, I mean, beyond that, you know, you want to shadow physicians really show that interest, but you might also want to enter science competitions and, you know, windows. So that's like a very targeted profile showing, Hey, I have a heart for service. I have a heart for healthcare. And so you don't have to say like, I want to be a maxillofacial surgeon. It's not like that, but demonstrating promise in a certain field is very critical. Um, the other thing you can do to be this thing, so that's a case where it's focused and there's impact. Another case is also merging two interests. So let's say that um, you know, you're really interested in uh, ethics, like biomedical ethics, um, but you're also really interested in, I don't know, history or something like that. So you can, you know, uh, really pursue research around like biomedical ethics and sort of how these things develop and evolved over time, how they reflect societal values and use that to sort of influence healthcare policy with your local uh, state assembly person or something like that and work that way. And sort of that's your niche or your spike um, as some people call it in the college world. So you can take sort of one thing and go all in, or you can merge two sort of areas and go on. But the, but the goal again, in both these examples, is to demonstrate some sort of focus and depth. When you do that, you're going to be in good shape. Well, and what I'm liking about this conversation, and correct me if I'm wrong, is right now in business, I believe it's hugely important to be able to 
figure out who you are, what you love to do, what you want to be when you grow up, and just give yourself permission to be you because that's what makes you stand out in the business world. What I'm hearing you say is that it's also what makes you stand out in the university professions now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, one sometimes I give the, you know, I tell an analogy about, okay, let's say you wanted the best bread in your town. You know, you live in Calgary, I live in San Diego, and we want the best sourdough loaf, right? And our two stores side by side. The first, you know, is a boulangerie. You know, you walk in there, there's all these beautiful breads and, you know, croissants in the display case. And, you know, they're wood panels and people in like aprons and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, okay, this place, like, if I ask you, what is this place about? You're going to say, it's a silly question. It's a, it's a place about bread. You know, it's a pastry place. And if I have a place next door that says bakery, shoe cobbler, um, tire shop, and, uh, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables. You're, you got me on the bread and tire shop. <laughs> Maybe they have better bread. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's like a weird, you know, like one of a kind in the world kind of shop. And this person does everything. Well, maybe their bread's better than the other. But if I ask you, hey, yeah, you know, (laughs) a little a little motorola, you know, it's a great croissant flavor. No, jokes aside, you know, if you look at both of these stores and I say, Michelle, like, who do you think has the better bread? Like, who has more focus? You know, what is this store all about? You're not going to be able to tell me what the random store is all about. And if I say, hey, where do you want to get your bread daily? You're probably going to choose the other place. You might be curious one day and go to the other shop and be like, I want to, why why the heck does this guy sell? You know, maybe. But if I'm an admissions reviewer and this is what I'm seeing and I got to take an educated bet, who am I going to bet on? And that's what I want people to carry from this conversation. You know, the same way if you were doing, you know, you do taxes you know, you do, you do a little bit of surfing lessons, you do a little bit of this, you do, you, you have no clarity about the population or the client base you want to serve. It's the same thing in business. Um, and so developing, you know, that kind of focus is going to be key. Thanks. What I'm also hearing is that it's more about the story that you're telling admissions than it is so much about kind of, because what I hear is like, I put in 500 hours here, I put in 500 hours there. And it's like, you put them in. Yeah, it's like I don't want anybody that's put in time. I, I will not hire people that have put in time. But if you tell me that you're fascinated with surfing and accounting, it's like great because you do accounting for surfers because they don't like doing accounting. Well, that sure. totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, now we have a story and it's and it's cohesive and it makes exactly. Nice. Exactly. I love that. So other than being kind of that generalist and and banal, what kind of mistakes are people making when they're when they're looking at sending their kids to university or to particularly the, the higher ones, not knowing how they vary. So folks will tell me, you know, let's talk about, let's do the Harvard, Princeton, Yale, you know, let's stay there for a moment um, just because we're on that thread. So sometimes people will say, well, you know, I'm thinking Harvard, Yale, Princeton. I'm like, how's Yale different than Princeton? I don't know. Like they're, Proceed. What do you mean? They're like famous. That I'm like, okay, how are they different? You know, you have to differentiate. You have to understand how they vary because in your applications, you're going to write essays about why Yale, why Harvard, why Stanford, why these places. And if you don't have clarity, you're not going to know how you fit with them. 
you know, imagine there's, you know, imagine you're trying to date. Let okay, I'll take my wife for example. Imagine early on in our relationship, she's like, you know, why do you want to be with me, or you know, why do you think I'm special? You were, I don't know, you were the pretty girl in the in the room, and you were one of the two. I I chose you. Um, <laughs> You know, like that wouldn't be, she wouldn't be like, oh my God, I'm so wow. flattered, right? It wouldn't have worked out. Um, she would have been like, okay, weirdo, like leave me alone. Um, but in essence, you have to be able to say, you know, what I admire about you is A, B, and C. Um, you know, I really think that I can bring this to our relationship. And together, I think we can be better than, you know, we can be better together than apart. And that's the story you want to tell. But if you don't know the things that make them ABC distinct, well, then you're not going to be able to fit your background with theirs. And you're not going to show how this can be a happy marriage, figuratively speaking. And so that's what, you know, families need to get very comfortable about. Now, when you go to school websites, they all kind of look the same, you know, that you go on a college website, they have famous alumni, you know, um, Nick Mullins class of 78 just discovered the cure for x um you know our school recruited the most diverse student body this year um you know natalie chen 82 donated 10 million dollars for a new science wing or whatever um you know it's these kinds of things that doesn't mean like that's not going to help so doing a deeper dive into what schools offer specific professors courses opportunities things you've done that you want to do in that community why the community that they serve uh, all of these kinds of things you have to get very granular about so that there is a strong sense of fit good advice for uh, anybody dating as well as yeah don't flip a coin <laughs> heads and tails heads you go to person well, number one yeah, yeah. Propose all five of you and see who says yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. You're all Ivy League. It'll work. Yeah, fine. <laughs> so, give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories. Somebody that came to you that was a complete mess and got it turned around. Yeah, complete mess is hard. To, I mean, we have a lot of students who, you know, I have the great fortune of working with students who are highly motivated. Um, a lot of our students have a Type A personality in that they're, you know, they're pushing hard, um, you know, they're high achievement oriented, but they also have a lot of anxiety, um, which is very common. You've been working your tail off for years. This is the moment. This is what you've been working for. Um, I mean, the, the Cinderella, like the, the quote unquote mess, it, it's more about people who are so anxious that they, the risk is self-sabotage. So, you know, they might read a bunch of essay examples online and they say, Ooh, like, I'm noticing a pattern and I'm going to make my essay look like that. And so it's the square peg round hole problem where they take their story and they try to force it into a narrative that someone else had developed, or they write a really great essay. They say, but it doesn't look like the others. I don't feel good. And then they try to change it. They show it to four teachers. They're like, oh my gosh, I got four pieces of feedback. I got to change. They're trying to please everyone, but really just to lower their own anxiety. And so just taking a step back. So there are many students that we've worked with over the years who, who do that. Essentially, this process of self-sabotage where they write an amazing, a beautiful story, and then they don't think it sounds science-y enough. And so they try to insert things and force uh, certain big words to appear more science-y or smarter or whatever the case might be. And so, you know, it requires a conversation around, look, 
you're you're gonna hurt yourself if you do this i understand your feeling i understand it's high stake i understand that you think intellectually this is the right move let me tell you why. how are you feeling about it? let me tell you why so it's more so about you know not only executing technically on our work but also executing emotionally in terms of helping our students have buy-in as to why this is going to benefit them so the so the worst situations are the ones where you said do x and they're like doesn't feel good doesn't feel good they change it they submit something you don't even know what it was and then they don't care and that's self-sabotage oh, um yeah. and that and that that's happened before um and then there there are so many but most often the case is students trust and you know they say you know you you've been there before you've sort of you have you've paved the path i'm gonna follow that at times it might be uncomfortable at times it might not be what i think i sh i would have done without you but i trust that you know more than me about this and it's the you know it's the same thing uh, like when you when you get help with an account or whatever it's like well yeah it's not what you necessarily would have done but that's why they're the expert and you're not or even the bakery keeping it simple you don't walk into a store and say what great flour do you use um, you know, at what temperature did you proof? How much you, I'm only going to buy bread when you answer these questions. No, you trust because, you know, you see, you, you, you get the smell, you see, you know, you see it, it looks visually pretty. You see the track record. That's what they devoted themselves to. They're masters of this craft. And so you trust them, but because this is more high stakes, it's a little harder to show because, you know, it's, it's your college. It's not a loaf of bread. So I, I recognize that I'm not naive to that, but just to draw the relationship of, of you know why people have to sort of submit that and, and trust absolutely so what are some of the stumbling blocks that um i'm gonna guess parents are gonna be listening to this more so than the students themselves what kind of stumbling blocks might a parent have or might they see in their uh children that they're going oh my god i need you so badly well one is their own anxiety right the stumbling block again because you see your students peer doing something different you say sally you see what Joe's doing? Uh, I think you're behind. Do that too. So, so that's something that I encourage parents to sort of restrain themselves from sort of jumping in too much and, you know, forcing their students to join too many things, et cetera. Um, another big thing is going to be, uh, you know, students who are, because classes are so obvious, you know, join these hard classes, they're, they're tangible. I can see, okay, I own an X number of AP courses that doesn't leave enough time for the type of extracurricular impact that a student has to make. So essentially over joining, over enrolling um, is a big problem. Um, other big problems are going to be getting involved in certain extracurriculars that don't move the needle. So you might uh, join something that's not impressive and you're like vaguely interested, but is a huge time crunch. Like for instance, someone might not like sports very much or they're like, they like it just fine, but you know, they're not, they're not like crazy about it and they're not a recruitment level athlete but sports take a lot of time i remember i did two sports in high school and so like that was all my free time essentially i ran cross country i played basketball and so that's another stumbling block um and and so when you take all you know one of these things is okay but usually when you combine several of these things and you know mix it with sort of blase essays now you're in trouble awesome so I know that our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start that journey with you? Yeah, just look up uh, shamasanconsulting.com. Uh, I know it's hard to say. I know it's hard to type. 
So, and I assume you'll put in the show notes, but, of course. but really it's uh yeah, Shamasian double M double S. But if you Google any topic like uh, Shamasian uh, medical school timeline or what SAT score do I need or how to get into Princeton or something like that, you'll find it in Google. So we have resources on, you know, the vast, vast majority of, of topics that listeners might be interested in. And on our website, it's very clear how to get in touch. There's a contact button at the top right corner and folks can send us an email and I would love to assist. Nice. Love that. So I have to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Oh boy. I'd probably say earlier in grad school. Um, you know, I grew up, like I said, with, with parents who aren't entrepreneurs, wasn't on their radar. And I remember um, there's a friend of my best friend, you know, he's a, he's a stock options trader, but he was getting, you know, he gave me this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a book on sort of real estate, but more so about like changing your mindset around, you know, business and money and all this kind of stuff. He's like, just read this. Cause I always thought like, I'd like to do something on my own. I didn't know if I had the chops cause you know, I had all the limiting beliefs of like, you know, I don't have a business mentor. Um, I don't know. I don't have an idea. Um, I don't have any formal training. Why would I succeed? You know, all those kinds of stuff. And that sort of led me down a path of reading other books and sort of developing the mentality that I can serve more people very well. I love that. That's awesome. So you have been amazing. Thank you. And I'm sure I could stay here and pick your brain all day, but my kid's not going to med school. So I'll let you get there back you to, to those who are. Um, any last words for our peeps? Uh, hang in there. Take it step by step. You know, enjoy croissants along the way. And, you know, it'll all work out. Love it. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedlock. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app so that we can help you scale your business. We love having you here. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, like five stars personally and share with your friends.